When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Martz. I'm Derek Sparts. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Welcome back, bosses. This is episode 290, and today we are covering an exciting way to monetize your almost guaranteed unused votes because I know the majority of you out there are not voting when you have the opportunity to vote for public stocks that you own, including you, Derek. Guilty. And you know what, Sam? <laughs> I broke my rule. I'm going to give a spoiler alert to this episode right off the top. I said I wasn't going to sign up for any of these platforms that we're interviewing on iLab for like a while because I want to take a break. But I think this mm -hmm. one has so much potential that I actually signed up right before we hopped on board. Well, thanks for doing it for me, Derek. So you can let me know how it goes and save me the uh, the effort of vetting it. So this is called Shareholder Vote Exchange. Uh, I reached out to the CEO, uh, Preston Yadiger. I saw this somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it. And I was like, that sounds interesting. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm on an investment podcast. I can probably get someone on the show to talk about it. <laughs> so that's actually what happened. And that's how this interview happened with Preston. I think it's something really interesting that no one else out there is doing. And... Before we kick into that, though, I have something that I think is of interest to you, Sam. Okay. I like interesting things. We were actually coincidentally just kind of chatting about wine for a second before we started the show. Mm -hmm. And I picked up something because I was like, wait a minute. Usually Sam and Johnny are in Europe and I have to record in my morning, but Sam happens to be in Asia right now. So I get to record at night here in Los Angeles. It's his morning time. That means I get to drink wine. Hey, hey, hey. Here's one problem. I'm going to show you what I got. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. I'm participating in dry January, and I was like, I really want a glass of wine. So I'm going to try an alcohol-free wine. Your thoughts, Sam? What is it? <laughs> what is it? What is that? That's grape juice. It's called, I know, right? Alcohol-free wine is grape juice. J.P. Chenet, France. It's a Cab Syrah blend. There was only three red options at the store I was at that were non-alcoholic. And this one had the highest score on Vivino. This had a 3.9 out of five. <laughs> Why don't you just buy some Welch's grape juice at the grocery store? I don't know, this feels store. more official. It looks like an actual bottle at least. <laughs> well, crack it open and let us know, know the results, man. The first one I, I scan had a 2.2 out of five. I've never seen a score that low. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, you brought up something interesting. I didn't know that there was such a thing as dry January. Oh, it's like a major thing here. Um, I got started a little bit late. I'm only on day five, but I want to take a month off before my birthday. Cause you know, I was just like, I'm borderline alcoholic. I'm not, I'm not full fledged alcoholic, but, <laughs> but, um, no, but seriously, I was just like, you I know had what? No idea. I had no idea you even drank much. Yeah. I was like, maybe I'm drinking a little too much. How much is too much? Just like a weird habit when I get home. I'm like, oh, I just want to have a couple of drinks. So it just like, it turned into like a habit, I think. So I'm like, you know what? Let's break that habit for a little bit. 
Um, is that a habit? Is that is that a habit? I don't see, know. I do the see? same thing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it felt a little habit wise. Like I would just get home, and be like, all right, let's pour a drink, you know. And I was like, ah, I need. I don't need to do that all the time. I realize I still don't have wine glasses at the office, so drinking mm-hmm. out of an Investica Boss hey, mug oh gosh, to keep oh gosh, it even classier. Oh uh, I'm gonna try Man, this out though. What do you think? You got to slurp it to give the uh, sound effect. Yeah, it is grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any dryness? Is it is it sweet? What it's actually it? kind of sweet. It's a little. It's, okay. it's it's actually sweeter than I would have wanted in a wine. But mentally, it gives me the the thought that maybe I'm drinking a shitty glass of wine. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, on, well, on that topic, and not to divert from this <laughs> the uh, episode too much, but I'm taking right now. Uh, it's called WSET Level Two, so it's a wine certification. Ooh, like a sommelier type thing? Yes, it's Ooh. it's on the way it's on the way to sommelier. This level, I would say level 2 is pretty much for anyone. Like it's it's definitely not basic, but it's, you know, you can pretty much go into it, right? Mm-hmm. It's 4 weeks long. It's one full day every week. It's on, in my course it's a Saturday. Oh, that's not bad. And you you taste it's so it's 8 hours, right? You taste about 20 wines each day and you have like all this book work that you're doing. So it's it's quite interesting. It's also kind of challenging because if you go in too heavy in the tasting like the first couple hours, you're like whole day shot, right? Yeah, so does really... it does it kind of like ruin your palate too cuz like how does not one taste like the next? So is there some kind of like cleansing in between? It's it, they they have it spread out kind of over the 8 hours. So it might be like an hour of book work and study and then like you taste 3. And then you have some bread and then you do another hour and then you taste another three and then you break for lunch and then you come back and do another 12 or something. And and it's it's an f- amazing course, man. Like I've enjoyed it so much, but it is. That doesn't sound like a bad way to spend a Saturday at all. <laughs> no, no. And it's, it's actually if you want to get the most out of it, you really need to study like an hour a day every every day until your exam so it's like you have an exam at the end of the month so i'm, I'm doing like an hour two hours a day studying and then at night the enjoyable parts like okay you studied now you need to go you have to learn like 65 different types of wines and all like the major wine regions of the world so at night then you go and you buy like two bottles of wine and you like taste it and then you i don't know man you just you learn so much so quick after drinking wine for like 10 years often i really didn't know that much mm-hmm. but just in this one month of course it's like man you appreciate and wines that you didn't like before now you like because you understand like why they taste like that and why they're a great expression of that area. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that sounds actually really cool. I used to It's quite I was, cool. I used to associate uh, wine with like snobbery and stuff and now I think it's actually like really cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it you appreciate it so much more, I think. After a course like this, and it's it's pretty inexpensive. It's $1000 and let's see. It's everywhere. They have this course everywhere. I'm taking it in Bangkok. I recommended it to my sister who's in San Diego. They have like three locations around San Diego. Undoubtedly, they'll have some in LA. Even my parents, I'm like, you guys should go do this in Atlanta, Asheville, Charlotte. They have they have it. So you can, I think you can take it anywhere in the world. Nice. It sounds awesome. W-S-E-T. Yeah, level two. And I think you could actually get that paid for with our platform that we're having on, especially those of you out there that hold individual stocks. So I'm glad I'm talking to you on this one, Sam, mm-hmm. because I don't know that Johnny even has any individual stocks anymore. <laughs> yeah. To do this, is, well, at least for now, uh, Preston kind of alludes to a way that if you own funds that you might be able to vote in the future. But for now, it's pretty much uh, just stuck to you guys that have individual stock holdings. Uh, both Sam and I have those ourselves. And every year you get a proxy and these probably just go to your junk mail and you don't even realize Mm -hmm. it. 
And it's uh, your right to earn a vote for every share that you have in a company to vote in their annual meeting. Now, usually these annual meetings are places on the board, but sometimes it can be like big corporate changing structures and um, initiatives. And a lot of times someone could think they know all about a certain co a company and, you know, why they invested in it, but they're really not paying attention to what the board is doing. Mm -hmm. Well, Derek, you've already admitted it. Have you ever voted for a stock? When I was younger and I had way less money, I just thought it was cool that I had like a vote in it. And I did actually vote for it. But I'm going to be honest, like I've, most of the time it was like, oh, just here's seat number seven and here's Sam. Do you vote for him or not? And that was about it. Yeah. Usually they're uncontested yeah. or it'd be two people. You had no idea who was the better choice. And usually they'll give you like, this is what the managers or the board thinks you should vote. Mm -hmm. And you should just be like, all right, well, I guess they're smarter than me. I'll just vote their way. Who wrote, who wrote that letter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who gets to sway the jury? They'd be like, Donald yeah. Trump says vote for Donald Trump. So <laughs> I can say I've honestly never voted. I get these all the time to my email. So I just set up a, a filter on my email that sends them directly to like statements folder. I don't even see them. They skip my inbox. And then I go in each quarter and just bulk delete them. I don't think I would ever vote. I, I, even if it was so simple that like literally it just came to my phone as like a pop-up notification, like like one or two, <laughs> I, I don't do it. Even in Tesla, you were just complaining about Tesla before we got on this call. We were recording this actually the day of Tesla's earnings and they weren't, they weren't looking so great. Yeah. I just don't know that it's worth, well, you'd have to really know a stock well. Mm-hmm. Because I think I'm mean, a lot of things you're voting for. It's like, okay, you, you want this new secretary on the board? You want this new treasurer on the board? It's like, I, I don't know anything about them. So like, you're going to have to go and learn about them. And then does your vote make even a difference? So it's a little different with like politics. It's like, you kind of know yeah. <laughs> who you, who you want to vote for and you don't have to do much research, right? So There's something to be said though. Let's say the stock isn't performing the way that you think it should be just for going for change and just be like, mm -hmm. oh, you know what? I'm going to vote the opposite of what everybody says just as a statement <laughs> yeah uh, sure sure but historically i've never done it maybe if i had a huge position in a stock and i had a more free time to just think about these things but as of as of today i've never voted i have no intention of voting and i'm excited to hear what uh what you're gonna unearth on this episode it sounds like to both of us and i think a lot of our listeners out there this is like untapped potential extra income that mm -hmm. hopefully shareholder vote exchange has a way to unlock some of this extra income very easily. So let's talk to Preston, find out what he has to say. Preston is the founder and CEO of shareholder vote exchange. Here we go. Hey bosses, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. The show will be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com wonder Preston is here. He's the CEO and founder of Shareholder Vote Exchange. Preston Yadiger, I hope I didn't butcher your last name. I forgot to ask you before we started here. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Derek. I don't want to sound offensive, but you look like a really young guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did you come up with this idea? And tell me about your background to becoming a CEO and founder of this potentially new solution to earn some extra returns. Sure. So um, I had graduated from Boston University 
in May of 2020. And upon graduation, I had launched my own uh, investment fund, raised some capital from family and friends. And part of my strategy involved uh, what's called pairs trading, where you trade two related assets. You might go long one and short the other. So long Pepsi, short Coke, for instance. Sure. In this case, I'd actually gone long the common stock of a company and short the preferred stock. There's kind of a, a gap between the valuations. Mm-hmm. And so left over, I had these voting rights that I wasn't interested in using, but I thought you know they should have some value. So that's when I had the idea of, hmm, can you actually sell or trade these voting rights on their own separately from the shares? And so uh, I'd done some regulatory research, hired a securities uh, attorney and looked into it. I had a finance background myself. I was a registered financial advisor and decided to, to start a shareholder vote exchange uh, once I thought the opportunity was pretty clear. We're going to get into the legality and how this all works here in a second. But first of all, you said you graduated in 2020, May of 2020 to be exact. The world was not exactly normal at that time. So how do you convince people to give you money and raise capital when you know no one knows what's happening from one day to the next? Yeah, well, uh, we've actually raised uh, only internal funding to date. We're actually now just starting to raise our first round of institutional capital. So the business has been very lightweight. Uh, we're a marketplace, uh, obviously, for trading uh, these voting rights. And so, you know, there's no hardware that we need to develop. There's nothing crazy in terms of, uh, you know, development expenses or the like. It's really just time and effort. Um, so, you know, I've put in a lot of quote unquote, sweat equity. And same with my co-founders as well. So kind of bring people on board, paying them in equity has, has gone us very far. Working on a lighter budget kind of forces you to become very resourceful. Yeah, definitely. And so we found, uh, we found a lot of uh, good kind of tricks for you know, hacking, hacking our way to, to growth. Well, very cool. Let's talk about voting rights of a particular stock and how that all works. Because my theory is that most people probably get the emails from their brokerage saying, you know, annual meetings coming up and then they just send it to the trash bin. <laughs> um, do you have any data on how many people actually vote in particular shareholder meetings? I personally hold, I don't know, 20 to 30 individual stocks. I used to, when I was younger, be like, oh, this is fun. I get to vote in it. Now I, I, it's been years since I've, I've participated in one. So do you know approximately how many people actually vote in these? Yeah. So the breakdown uh, that's public um, you know, says that 70% of shares owned by retail investors are not voted. But if you take that step further, because there's some skew, obviously the biggest retail investors own a disproportionate amount of mm-hmm. uh, assets. It probably implies that somewhere like 80 or 90% of individual investors don't vote. Uh, and that lines up with the data we see um, from talking to people and having users on the platform. So it's it's kind of a chronic problem. There have been a lot of different kinds of solutions uh, attempted in the past, you know, trying to corral interest among individual investors. But, you know, my premise is that I believe that that's a flawed premise. People just aren't interested. You know, there's a term right. rational uh, apathy, where you own such a small amount it economically or logistically is not worth your time to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, even even with technology making it easier, it'd be interesting to see some data, you know, before the internet existed, where you would actually have to go in person to a shareholder meeting to put in your vote, which that would have been, you know, single digits if you even owned a stock. So now it's it's even easier to own a stock and it's super easy to vote. Like I said, I just get an email and all I have to do is vote for the people or purposes that they want to vote for, but I still don't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
you know, especially as individual investors, you know, you might spend a lot of time doing the investment analysis, if at all. Some people are just investing passively in index funds. Mm -hmm. And so even if you do all the work to select an individual stock and, you know, you have a lot of conviction about it, you know a lot about it, you might not know about the board of directors or any of the these proposals that are going on. And, you know, it's it's really the nitty gritty that a lot of people aren't interested in. Sure. Now, can you tell us, does every stock, so every share I own, do I get a vote in every single public stock or are there exceptions where maybe you don't get voting rights with certain stocks? So just about every public company's uh, stock comes with voting rights. There are a handful of exceptions. Uh, you can probably count them on your hands. I know Snapchat is one where the public shares actually have zero um, votes per share. Oh, very interesting. Actually, I live in Venice Beach, California, where Snapchat was invented. So very controversial company and kind of interesting to hear that that's a rule there. Yeah. I mean, so uh, kind of uh, what they have in place is what's called a dual class share structure, where they have two different classes of stock. They have a public one. In their case, the public uh, class has zero votes per share. And then they have a another class, a class B, um, which might get one vote per share or 10 votes per share. Usually in a dual class uh, structure, Google, or sorry, Alphabet has it, Meta has it, uh, Ford has dual class. These companies will do one vote for the public class and then 10 votes for the other. And that's oh, wow. usually retained okay. by the founders or you know other kinds of insiders, management, employees, so they can retain a little more control. That's good to know. Now, speaking of control, uh, there's a lot of arguments out there, you know, like crazy people online saying, you know, BlackRock or Vanguard, you know, essentially owns the whole economy. Now, when you say I, let's say I own an, an index fund in Vanguard, which I do own multiple. Now, Vanguard themselves, since they are the actual holders of the stock, they would earn uh, voting rights, correct? Yes, that's true. And previously, what would happen is that the index fund provider, the BlackRock or the Vanguard would vote on behalf of their funds. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they would essentially have, you know, collectively these these organizations would have, you know, 10 to 30% of all the vo outstanding voting power. Now what's going on is they're starting to pass that through to their beneficial investors, whether they're institutional or retail. And they're they're coming up with policies that you can select if you own any of these ETFs or other products and say, "Hey, I want to vote in favor of all the management policies, or I want to vote for this ESG policy, or whatever it is. That'll give the beneficial investors a voice. You know, one of the issues with that is that the policies are limited in nature. There's only eight of them, even if there are 20 of them. It doesn't allow for all the flexibility. So it's kind of inherently a challenge. You know, we'll see. At least the voting policies help. They're a step in the right direction. Yeah, it feels like it's swaying a little bit more towards the investor. Yeah. So uh, could it be argued that someone could essentially buy their way onto a board just by purchasing voting rights from you or wherever else they acquire them? It, certainly. And, um, you know, I'd say that's actually a part of the value proposition. And I'd also say that's uh, actually how the system currently works. You know, if you want to go buy, you know, 10% or however much of some public company, it's, it's relatively straightforward to, um, you know, either put yourself or your nominees on the board of directors. So that's constructively a way of buying, you know, your way onto the board. Uh, another way is through uh, what's called proxy solicitation and and other methods. These are have been widely used for decades, and it's still used. You know where you get sent your proxy voting emails or notices by mail, or they'll call you even and tell you to vote. So someone who's very interested in getting on the board might engage in proxy solicitation, where they say, you know, just contact all the investors and tell them to vote 
for me. Right. And you're not necessarily buying the votes directly, but if you spend enough dollars and enough of them kind of lean your way, then you're constructively uh, doing that. And so what we're arguing for is pay the investors directly uh, so they can reinvest their money, they can you know earn this extra income rather than on you know some of the inefficient methods uh, that are currently going on. Yeah, it's starting to sound like an episode of Succession now. <laughs> <laughs> so why would a particular investor or a firm want to purchase additional voting rights? You know, besides getting on the board, is there any other particular reason that would be beneficial for them to do this? It's not only getting on the board, but sometimes staying on the board. There's really two kinds of bu uh, buyers in the market. There's the company itself, and they have their incumbent board of directors and management. And you know they may want to acquire votes to achieve quorum. Uh, you know, if not enough shareholders participate in a given meeting, they may need to reschedule the meeting, and they'll incur additional costs. It'll take their time, kind of as a a nuisance to all the shareholders. So that's one one reason uh, you know an issuer or a company might buy votes. And then when it comes to a major shareholder, uh, they might own five percent or ten percent. They might see that the company's underperforming, and they might want to you know put up their nominees onto the board to kind of change how the company is being operated, or maybe engage in a spinoff that'll unlock some value. They have different sort of um, strategies out there, and so usually they'll implement that directly through nominating folks to the board and then engaging in what's called a proxy fight. And so we can be a resource to them in that scenario as well. Great. So can you break down how corporate elections work? Are they kind of standard across the board? Is it a simple majority? Is there um, a certain amount of uh, votes that they need to make something pass? Or how would this uh, break down essentially? So the rules are not standardized uh, very, very well. Uh, there are a lot of different layers in the corporate hierarchy that apply. There's state law, there's federal law, there's rules on the stock exchanges that companies have to comply with. And so it's it's hardly standard. You can have situations where it is just a simple majority in order to get required on the board, but that is uh, relatively uncommon. What's more common is simply for the whoever earns the highest votes, the highest proportion of votes to get elected. So even if you have you know less than 50% of uh, investors or shares voting for a nominee, you know, maybe they might only get 25% of the votes in favor. As long as it's the highest. As long as it's the highest, they get on. And so that goes in line with the second piece, which is that most of these elections happen without any contest. It's just the incumbent nominees being reappointed. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but it leads to a lot of, I don't want to say complacency, but, you know, something along those lines where, you know, you're just kind of sitting in the seat for eight years, 10 years, 15 years, and no one's challenging. It reminds me of a lot of like local elections where, you know, you go to vote and then you're like, well, wait a minute, no one's running against this person. I guess I have to vote for them or I put it myself in. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. And so, you know, that's where these activist investors um, can kind of step in and provide a different slate of candidates or nominees that represent shareholders' interests and, uh, you know, something new. They'll bring previous operators, former CEOs, people from other sort of competitors who might have, you know, industry knowledge. Uh, and that can kind of freshen up the board, uh, so to speak. Great. So one more question before we jump into the actual platform itself. Uh, do you find any risk of the SEC pushing legislation to stop this from happening? I mean, how is this different from buying an election, which obviously we're in a presidential election here in the US, um, hotly contested about, you know, illegal voting, things of that matter. How do these rules not apply to the corporate world? So they're two totally uh, separate rules. Rules for political elections, you know, for instance, you can't pay anyone um, to even uh, 
you know, vote, there's like a turnout or how to vote. Uh, that's in the U.S. code somewhere. You know, that's that's illegal. Uh, but when it comes to corporate law, that's a matter that's left up to the states. And so most corporations are domiciled in Delaware. Mm-hmm. Under Delaware law, it is legal to uh, purchase votes, you know, generally speaking, in corporate decisions. And so I would assume a state like California or New York, this is much more difficult. Uh, in all the other states, it's uh, allowed except for New York. New York is the only one where it has a statutory uh, ban. There are other jurisdictions internationally, the Cayman Islands, I believe Bermuda, where it's also prohibited to buy what are called proxies. But in uh, Delaware and many of the other US states, it it is allowed. The SEC has its own realm of jurisdiction. There's a whole set of areas that they cover, for instance, proxy solicitation, they cover, uh, you know, tender offer rules, uh, you know, other areas. And so, They couldn't necessarily say, you know, this action is not allowed. What they would probably do is try to increase some sort of disclosure. And we would like to actually do that ourselves, uh, kind of for the benefit of the platform. It's something we would like to implement uh, where, you know, the sellers can see who the interested buyers are uh, and maybe not the other way around. You don't necessarily want to disclose the identity of all the sellers, Um, but it might go the other way because you have a handful of buyers. They're the ones gaining control. You might want to see why they're buying, what they're trying to do. Uh, And that kind of disclosure could be very healthy. Very good. So Shareholder Vote Exchange is a relatively new company. Can you share um, how many investors have actually used the platform, uh, any type of assets under management, any kind of numbers that you can provide with us? We really launched last year, uh, 2023. And that's also when I brought on uh, two of my co-founders. And uh, yeah, we've really done a lot more uh, kind of marketing since then. We now have uh, just over a thousand users on the platform. It mostly represents uh, individual investors, retail investors, but we also have a significant number of institutional investors. These are folks from pension funds, uh, investment advisors, wealth managers, even ETF managers who are on the platform and interested in uh, you know selling votes. We also have a good number of folks who are interested in buying um, votes. Uh, But those mainly are from these proxy solicitor uh, firms and uh, some of these activist funds uh, issuers. So that's how many users we have on the platform in terms of number of voting rights uh, processed. Just around 200,000 votes have traded on SVE to date. And that's kind of in the off season from 2023. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the next few months, you know, kind of from March to July, it's kind of the what's called the proxy season. And so we think we'll get in the millions, uh, you know, this year. And then in terms of AUM, you know, by our last estimate, we had around $150 million worth of equities. Uh, we had those votes represented on the platform. We now think the figure is in a billion, in the billions, but we aren't linked to our users' brokerage accounts. That was going to be one of my questions next. So if I sign up and, and you know, create an account at Shareholder Vote Exchange, do I have to give you access to my actual brokerage account? Or how do you prove that I own the asset? Yeah. So uh, like you mentioned earlier, you get these proxy voting emails. And so our primary method that most of our users uh, take advantage of is what we call our automated service, where we link up to your email Our software will check any time you get uh, proxy votes. It'll verify them, put them on the platform for sale, and then your account will earn as your votes get sold. And then withdraw your funds to your brokerage account, your bank account, so you can reinvest or do whatever you want with them. So it's essentially a plug and play on my end. I don't. I can just submit, you know, what I want to put up for sale, and I don't have to do any of the voting, any of any other kind of paperwork type things like that. 
Yeah, exactly. We That's our kind of set it and forget it solution. It's totally free. It doesn't cost anything extra. And if you don't want to link your email address, because, you know, for privacy concerns or, you know, just kind of lowering, you know, some people aren't comfortable with that. We also have a manual uh, version where you can kind of just enter the information on our uh, website and uh, verify your votes that way. And so we don't need access to the brokerage account, but we are working with some of these brokers to even make this process even simpler, where instead of signing up on SVE, you're just in your Schwab account or whatever broker. We're not working with Schwab yet, but you know, you check a box and everything gets handled. You start earning almost like a additional dividend, uh, just kind of coming into your account. Great. I'm actually hoping to not work with Schwab soon because they changed my Ameritrade account and I hate it. <laughs> I have Ameritrade Anyways. as well. <laughs> so are these voting rights purchased just good for like the next upcoming election? Is there a certain time period? And to go along with that, do I need to hold these shares until that election? And am I co uh, contractually obliged to do this so? So the votes, um, you know, when we say voting rights, what we're really talking about are proxies. This is where you say that I'm selling my proxy to someone else and in exchange, that person can vote on my behalf and they're going to pay me. So these proxies are only good for the next meeting, the upcoming meeting. So for instance, most companies only have an annual uh, general meeting once per year. They don't have any special meetings by and large. And so they're only good for that. They expire once the meeting has passed. In addition to that, you don't need to hold on to your stock. After you've received your proxy, you can do what you want with it. You don't need to hold your shares. So yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. There's no kind of strings attached between the proxy and the shares once you've received the proxy. So the, the way these proxies work essentially is when they're sent out, as long as you own the stock as of that date, you have a vote no matter what. Exactly. So just okay. like with dividends, there's sort of a record date it's that date. gets set usually backward looking. So if, if today's January 15th, uh, the company might notify you and say, hey, January 1st was our record date. All of those shareholders will get a proxy. And then our meeting is going to be in April. Sure. Um, so that's the general timeline. That makes sense. So it looks like that these proxies are sold via auction style. Can you explain how that all works? Yeah. So we had initially done uh, kind of a continuous trading structure that similar to how you trade equities or futures, but we realized that that wasn't really suitable for this kind of market. In particular, having all these different small batches of votes trade on their own, it's not really valuable. Um, you know, you get 10 votes here, 50 votes here. Instead, what we wanted to do is kind of bundle all of these together into one big unit and then auction off that unit. So, you know, you might have 100 shares of some company and I have 50. On their own, they're not worth as much. But if we get both of ours and then add in more people's, we might get 5% of all the votes combined. Okay. And that whole batch might be worth more than each of ours individually. So what we do is we auction off that whole collective unit to the highest bidder until the meeting date occurs. So this auction will last for a couple months. Everyone can, who wants to sell their votes can participate. And then anyone who wants to place a bid for all the votes can do so. That process will go on until the meeting date, at which point the buyer will receive the votes they'll be able to exercise them. And then all the sellers will receive their share of the proceeds. So if I sold 100 votes and the whole batch had 1,000 votes and it sold for $1,000, I might receive $100. $100. Going back to my last question, essentially then too. So as long as you receive those proxies and then the meeting's not for a couple months in this example, I could have long sold my shares in the company and still get these proceeds from shareholder vote exchange. Yes, the, that that's true. Um, you know, generally speaking, people aren't trading just to get the voting rights. 
but uh, it is possible that we kind of encourage that. Kind of well, I don't know. There could have been some big run up and I was like, I need to cash in and this is just icing on the cake, I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, definitely possible. Is there an average percentage of a share price that you're receiving? Is it pretty consistent across companies or does it wildly vary? It is not consistent. It's very skewed. So you know, generally speaking, the votes are not worth a ton. There's a lot of academic research which suggests that votes can be worth anywhere from, you know, 0.1% to, you know, even 10% of the share price. We think 10% is probably too high as an average. Yeah, that seems really high. We think the average is probably something on the order of 1% to 3%. So conservatively, could you expect an additional 1% to 2% revenue on your on your stocks is essentially what you're saying? Uh, at scale, you know, if the market was fully efficient. Right now, mm -hmm. the value that uh, users are earning on the platform, uh, to be totally transparent, is lower than that. It might okay. be 0.1% or so. I'm, you know, just uh, kind of guessing here. But, um, you know, at a fully efficient market, it should certainly be higher, I would think, around 1% to 3%, depending on what companies you own. Uh, if you own an Apple, for instance, even at scale, if we had 5 or 10% of the votes, they probably wouldn't be worth that much because the company is so large, no one can even get the remaining 30 or 40% that they need to kind of win. That's not what I wanted to ask you. I feel like this is more advantageous to do on a smaller cap company um, as compared to like a large company like Apple. Yeah, it's, it's definitely true. And it works uh, for both of the use cases the, of the buyers. You know, when it comes to the company itself, for small caps, it's harder for them to find their shareholders and get in touch with them. Uh, and get them to vote in the meetings. So achieving quorum is a bigger challenge for them. And then also you tend to have more activism, uh, shareholder activism at smaller cap companies. So um, it kind of works both ways that small caps get sort of a higher yield uh, than large caps. All right, if you don't mind, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Uh, my co-host Sam was an early investor in Tesla. He loves all things Elon. He's you know one of those, I'm gonna hold it forever. And it's worked out well. I think he's over 10X on his shares of Tesla, but he currently owns 3000 shares of Tesla. Uh, do you have any idea what that could potentially get him on shareholder vote exchange? Um, I forget the exact, uh, you know, I don't know what Tesla is trading for right now, but... I just looked it up. It's at uh, 219. So if we take that times 3,000, what are we about? Six to $700,000? Sure. Um, so actually, we have a calculator tool on our homepage. I actually just went to it because it's good. It's a handy reference. Sure. Um, and I entered in Tesla on 3,000 shares. And this is just an estimate. So, you know, it's by no means guaranteed. Um, but our calculator tool is suggesting an annual yield of around $700 to $33,000. Now, that's, that's a big gap. <laughs> okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a big gap. And the reason is uh, because uh, we're still building out the markets and mm -hmm. we don't want to provide something too low or too high. Um, this is based on a lot of academic research and then also market data that we're seeing. In the case of Tesla, it is a mega cap. And I'd probably stick on the lower end of this range. You know, ultimately, these votes won't be worth a ton unless the company itself uh, wants to acquire them. There's probably not going to be an activist investor of a meaningful size who can, who can, you know, who would be interested in purchasing these votes. So it's really up to the company and whether or not they're interested. Sure. So even at that low end, we're talking, uh, you know, about a 0.1% return, which, you know, if you're just going to sit and buy and hold it or sit and hold the shares anyways, you might as well take the, a little bit extra cash. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's part of our sort of value prop is, you know, don't leave money on the table. Uh, something is better than nothing. Totally makes sense. So is there a hold time that I have to wait until after the election to receive funds? Let's say, you know, I, I sold my Tesla shares 
on shareholder vote exchange. When am I actually getting paid? Is it after the election? Um, uh, you sold your shareholder votes. Um, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, we will uh, issue payment automatically uh, within a couple days after the meeting. Uh, we do this so that we can verify and audit the results of the votes. You know, to ensure that there's no tampering, to ensure that the votes were executed properly. Um, it's kind of a safeguard for the buyers uh, and it ensures the integrity of the platform. And so after you uh, earn these proceeds in your SVE account, you can set up sort of automatic transfers where we'll send it to your bank account or brokerage account uh, automatically, let's say on a quarterly or semi-annual basis, and you'll just receive it over there. You can reinvest it or do whatever you want with it. Now, I think you sort of addressed this earlier, but I just want to make it clear for our audience. Let's say, you know, I'm a, a large shareholder of a particular company or even an institutional investor, which might want to stay anonymous, uh, both on the buying and the selling side. Uh, do I need to reveal my identity um, on the platform? I mean, to you, obviously, but to the general public. As a seller, you don't. But as a purchaser, uh, we will be implementing something along these lines, whether or not it's their full identity or sort of the type of buyer that they are, whether they're the a, you know, a company, an issuer, or if they're a sort of a major shareholder, we'll be adding some layers of transparency there and seeing uh, what's useful. But as a seller, you don't reveal anything about your identity. That would actually harm the platform if we did that in kind of a number of ways. Uh, one, for personal privacy reasons. I'm the first user of SVE, so I wouldn't want to be revealing, you know, all whatever information. But, you know, when it comes to ensuring the integrity of the transactions, having a third party uh, that's not affiliated or involved in the transaction is very important. And if so if we start disclosing the names and identities of all the sellers, uh, that could start to kind of get in the way of our transactions. Great. And how is SVE earning revenue? Are you taking commissions? Like I'm just thinking, I don't know, a car auction or an eBay type style service. They're going to take a percentage of the sale either to the buyer or the seller. Uh, I assume you have some kind of similar model there too. Yeah, uh, spot on. Uh, we have a, a commission model. We take 10% uh, from uh, both the buyer and the seller. So uh, if the buyer is paying $1,000 for however many votes, uh, we'll take 10% on top of their bid. And then the sellers will receive 90% of whatever the bid is. So, so you're taking 10% on each end? Yes, 20% uh, total. Yeah. Okay, great. And how come no one else has thought of this? Are you are you the only one out there? It seems like you are. We're the only platform that's doing this. Um, people have thought about this for, for decades. For instance, in the 80s, uh, I believe in 1985, there was a Wall Street Journal article, you know, talking about a concept called rent a vote. It was proposed by some large uh, mutual fund manager. There were all these corporate raiders going on at the time. And he said, you know, I don't want to take any part in this. I want to take sides. Why don't you just pay me for my votes? It never really materialized or went anywhere. Um, and even before then, people had floated the idea. And so these transactions have happened before. There's a famous case uh, in 2001, 2002, uh, between Hewlett Packard and the company and uh, one of the founder's sons or their family uh, as an investment group. And so um, where the company was accused of buying votes, Carly Fiorina was actually leading the company at the time. Mm -hmm. They were accused of buying votes from Deutsche Bank to approve some merger that they were doing. Uh, it turns out the the judge in Delaware ruled that they were buying votes, but that it was legal. It was they were allowed to do that. There had been other cases before, but this was sort of a landmark case. So these transactions have happened, but they're all behind the scenes, and they still go on today. Um, what we would like to do is kind of bring it to light, make it 
open, make it transparent, provide access to retail investors as well. And uh, we think that will be very beneficial. Everyone can earn extra income. You know, you can reinvest that. That can matter a lot. You know, even 0.1% over, you know, 10, 20 years, 30 years become a significant amount um, over that period of time. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Where should our bosses head over to uh, check out more about shareholder vote exchange? Sure. Our, our website is svegroup.com stands for Shareholder Vote Exchange Group. You know, it's pretty straightforward to sign up and get started. Uh, you just need your uh, name and email. And then, uh, you know, you can verify your votes. You can check out the platform. We have some educational material on there. If you have any questions, you can always email me at preston at svegroup.com. We're also active on Twitter slash X and a bunch of other platforms. Very impressive, Preston. I think this is an idea that our bosses are really going to want to take advantage of and check it out. It's svegroup.com. I'll put Preston's email and all the links to everything in the show notes. I'm looking forward to hearing about some crazy takeover story that you guys were involved in very soon. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, Preston. Thanks for having me on, Derek. Hey, bosses, shortly after recording this, I actually reached back out to Preston to see if we could get you guys some kind of special offer for this because I know there's gonna be a lot of interest from you listening out there. So what Preston was able to do was get me a special link just for Invest Like a Boss listeners that will get you 30 days commission-free trading on shareholder vote exchange. So check out the link in the show notes if you wanna sign up. Make sure to take advantage. You'll get 30 days commission-free trading after you sign up. All right, let's get back to the end of the show. Sam's gonna join me and we'll share our thoughts on SVE and this whole concept in general. Firstly, hats off to Preston. Very entrepreneurial mindset that he had. See this opportunity to create a platform, to go through all the legislation and work. And I, I think it's just very, very clever, keen idea. And it seems like an opportunity, especially if they can get mass traction and get mass uh, shares for voting onto the platform. So Derek, what's your take? I heard this this on the George Camel episode. I want to use the uh, I want to use it again. George Camel said, is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> and I yeah, love that. He has all kinds of like fun little <laughs> sayings. Um, yeah. So I actually had a conversation with Preston after we talked for like another 10, 15 minutes. And I think this is something that he said has been out there for decades, but for some reason, no one's jumped on this. So I think he's got mm -hmm. a real potentially great idea on his hand. I think once it gets integrated into a brokerage accounts, like he said, if I can go into my Schwab account and just click, yes, I want my proxies to go to shareholder vote exchange and it's as easy as that. And then they take it from there. I think that's huge and like multi-billion dollar business just waiting for them if they can partner with the right brokerages uh, just to make it easy. And he just needs to get his name out there. I think this is a matter of marketing because it 100% makes sense for me and for I think most of the other people, like you said, 80 to 90% of people don't vote just to go ahead and do this because... First of all, nothing's really going to change with the initiatives of the company. They're still going to vote the same way. And a lot of these companies need to actually buy votes and acquire votes to to avoid quorum, like you said. But uh, quorum is when they don't get enough votes in a meeting mm -hmm. to actually pass not legislation, but I guess whatever it would an initiative. And they need to actually source these votes and they're doing it old school. Like they could be like, okay, Sam has 3000 shares of Tesla and I need more votes for Tesla. I'm going to call him or send him an email and say, please vote because we need you to vote. And like, how archaic is that when you could just go to a platform like this and acquire the votes that you need? Yeah, exactly. On one hand, I was thinking about this. I don't like the idea of selling votes or buying votes, right? I don't either. And I, I didn't know it was even legal. And 
it doesn't surprise me that it is, but I, I kind of associated these with like a political election. Exactly. But the, the second part of what I was going to say is like, I don't like it, but it is what it is. It's like, mm -hmm. that is the American system. That's how politicians get elected. You know, that's, <laughs> that's how lobbyists work, right? That's how laws are made. And like the more, you know, a lot of people outside the U.S. realize that Amer how America is run. And like when you're in the US, you kind of get caught up in it. But it's like, we're going to we have a, a really cool episode coming up on stem cells. And we're going to talk about big pharmacies, or mm -hmm. big, big pharmaceutical and how that whole thing works. And I was sitting back. I'm like, I don't I don't like the idea of selling my votes, but it's like, th that's just how the American system works. So I feel a little dirty doing it. Yeah. Am I, I going to protest by not doing it? Or do you just go, you just go with the tide? So yeah, it, it, it's, it's the system. So I'm going to sell my votes. I, I felt the same way. I'm a little <laughs> conflicted with it, but I think I'm going to sell mine I'm too. I'm going to sell my votes. <laughs> I'm not doing anything with them. They're going to buy them from somewhere question, else. That's an interesting question, though. I'm, I'm going to put a, a poll up on, at the show too. If you're listening through Spotify, you can actually answer polls. Um, I'll ask that, you know, if this is something that, you know, maybe is it a morally conflicting for you to actually sell your votes and shares that you own? I looked up the medium uh, household in the US in terms of how much stocks they own. And right now it's sitting around 55,000. That's the median. Well, you can consider probably half of Americans don't own any stocks at all. So actually the average of those- I, Actually, I think it's quite a bit higher now with like a retail and how easy it is to buy stocks, the amount of households that actually own stock in the US. Uh, I saw like a 2022 number, but any, anyways, like, so if that's 50,000, then that means the average is probably significantly higher of the people that actually do own stocks. So let's just say it's it's 100. The average American or American household has a $100,000 stock portfolio. A lot of that'll be mutual funds, but let's just say in a perfect world, you could sell votes on your shares within the, within a, an index or mutual fund as well. So that goes back to the question, is the juice worth the squeeze? If you could make on a on hundred thousand stock portfolio on the low range, it's like maybe you'd make something around $100. Um, I think that that's the low, and that Preston presented, yeah, it could go 0. higher. 1%, yeah, so it's like how much is how much is it worth? He's saying the average he's expecting when they you know kind of come get more customers and things like that is two to three percent. So if you're taking a hundred thousand portfolios, two to three thousand dollars a year worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, for sure, I think absolutely, no, I think so too. without a doubt, one hundred percent. Even if, like let's say I have my E Trade's got about a million in it, and I was thinking, okay, so. At the low end, if I make a thousand, would I do it? And the answer is yeah, I would do it. I wouldn't do it for like two or three hundred, uh, but for a no. thousand, I wouldn't. And if the and if the high end is more than that, then like of course, uh, I think you nailed it, Derek. Whereas like because all this is like okay, what what do I have to do? How much paperwork? Do I have to set up an account? I have to file taxes and stuff. One of my big blunders last year was like doing this credit card hacking program. I signed up with like nine credit cards and I just got into halfway into it. I'm like, this is so ridiculous. I don't know how I ever thought this was going to be a good idea. But yeah. the amount of extra work for what you're picking up, which is like maybe $500 a credit card, probably less by the time you pay for everything. So um, I think obviously the opportunity is if you get this integrated with brokers accounts, literally just one click. And as a user, you get to receive that just as an ordinary dividend. Basically, there's no extra accounts, no extra paperwork, just boom. Or if there is extra paperwork, it's all bundled in with your brokerage yeah. paperwork. So hopefully it's not coming from another source. Yeah. And I just want to jump back to the numbers that we talked about earlier. Um, mm -hmm. Gallup says as of 2023, 61% of Americans own stock. And if your household is a hundred thousand or more, it's actually jumps up to 84%. So obviously the higher earning households, 
vast majority of people own stocks. So that's a lot of potential customers. That's way more than any other country, by the way. Oh, yeah. Way more than any other country. Like Europeans don't own stock nearly at the same levels as America's. America loves stocks. And that's where the conflict comes in, right? Like, well, again, on the stem cell episode, we'll hear about this, but that's where the conflict comes in is we all, if the stock market's not going up, morale in the US drops, sediment drops. Huge. You see it in a political elections, same thing. Yeah, definitely. So we, we, we basically demand that the stock market rises, but then... <laughs> <laughs> but then corporations run the com- the the country, right? <laughs> yeah, but I th- so. I think it shows you like how many potential customers Preston is officially or or can potentially reach, and just the fact that most Americans are probably not actively checking their accounts all the time, yeah, and you know checking their daily balance, and they just want passive income. This how much more passive can you get than this? Than once a year, it just gets shipped over Boom, yeah. to them and they handle it everything. And then they'll send you a check every quarter or whatever it may be. Yeah. And that's that's the opportunity, I think, in the platform. Probably also the major challenge for Preston and the company is, is to get that critical mask. My mm-hmm. guess is right now, if I go in and list my, let's say, 2,500 shares of Tesla, unless there's another big, like, big, big tranche of them, like hundreds of thousands or millions, there might not be any demand for them, right? Because like, right. W- is, is some some party or some voter going to come in and buy a small amount of shares, theoretically, like hundreds of different sources, either through platforms like Preston's or Direct? It's a lot of work to pick up like this relative pennies or few shares. That's why so I, I like his, it, his, it, his idea to bundle it. But if he doesn't, if he only has a, a thousand people on there right now, it's, it's going to take a long time to really, what are the odds that all these people have uh, crossover stocks. So, and he said the small caps actually are more in demand for these proxies to be purchased because they need to meet a certain amount of uh, proxy yeah. votes. And what are the odds that I have this micro cap and Sam has it and yep. uh, person C has that one as yep. well when there's only so many people to pull from? So what sh- are you planning on listing on the platform? Have you gone through that process yet of of actually listing stock? Yeah, so it's it didn't work out like exactly as I, I I thought I would log in and pick like, hey, these are the stocks I have that I want to put in there. But the way it works is I logged in. It's super easy. It's literally just your name and email address and a password. It takes like one minute to do. And then you go in and it says to, that's going to pull your proxy votes. So mm-hmm. even if you got a proxy yesterday and you do the email, I guess the email search setting or whatever it may be, it's it only goes from today forward. So if you if you have any proxies that are still open, it's not going to catch those. There is a way to manually send proxies over. So here's like one concern I kind of have, even though I don't really care. It might bother some people. You can link your email account to there, and it literally just searches proxies, and it'll pull them automatically and say, okay, here's your Tesla, here's your Rivian shares, here's whatever it may be mm-hmm. coming up for proxy. Do you want to list them on the exchange? So as they come in. I assume that I'll be able to see those and they'll alert me and be like, hey, a new proxy just came in. Do you want to list it on the exchange? But that also means they have access to all your emails so they can, yeah. the, the program can search like it. I, I'm not saying there's anything nefarious going on, but th- that could be a concern for some people. So now now that I did that, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I wanted to do that, but there's a way to manually do them. So Sam, like you said, you have a filter set up in your email that just goes to a proxy folder. Mm-hmm. As those come in, you could just forward those to shareholder vote exchange, those individual emails, and then select those ones that you want to do from there. So that might be something like a route you would want to go instead. 
and just manually do it. But um, there is an automated process, but they do need access to your email. Okay. I think I'm going to wait for quarterly updates and hear how it's gone for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to try it. I, I did the email thing. I guess I, it doesn't concern me too bad. So as they come in, I noticed, I looked through my email. The last one I got was for um, a company in December, but it said that the meeting already happened. So I actually don't have any active right now. I think you said usually like uh, April, May is when a lot of the annual meetings are coming. So I would assume we're recording this in January that within the next... 30 days or so, I should be having a lot come in. I just thought of something that's quite interesting. So I put in my Tesla stock in their, on their calculator on their website, 2,400 shares says you could earn between 540 dollars and twenty six thousand yeah i brought that dollars. up in the interview i was like it's quite quite a quite a wide range there <laughs> yeah i mean if if you could really get 26 grand out That'd of this insane. it'd be like <laughs> the like, greatest thing ever right <laughs> but even if you could get let's say you could get one to two percent Mm -hmm. which I still think would be extremely valuable, like to be able to sell your share, your your votes for one to 2% each year. That that takes a stock like Tesla, which is a tech growth stock that does not pay a dividend like a lot of stocks in the NASDAQ. And it turns it into a dividend paying stock. Totally. It turns it, it, it takes, you, you get the tech stock growth, but you also get a small dividend, which makes tech stocks a lot more appealing. I'm just thinking, you know, if you get one or 2%, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a great dividend, but even a company like Apple right now, I don't think even pays a 1% dividend. So it's, it's not well, it's bad. It's like what the S the S&P 500 pays out like 2%. And that's kind of why we enjoy investing in S&P 500s. Cause like every month we look in our Vanguard account and we've got income distributions. Yeah, totally. You know, so, 2% is not a ton, but it's it's certainly something. Like in a lot of cases, it's enough to live off of once you get to your retirement. So Yeah, or just reinvest. And if you really believe in Tesla, keep buying more Tesla stock. Show sure enough. So yeah, I'm, I'm signed up. I hope you guys do too, or at least check it out and give us your experience. It's svegroup.com. I'll put all the links and everything in the uh, show notes. And I'll give you Preston's email too. He said that was cool to, to email him directly because obviously they're still a small company. So take advantage of that while you can. You can speak uh, directly to the CEO of the company. Hey, Preston should, I have an idea. Preston yeah. should give some some type of early adopter incentive because you read my mind. I think there's a lot of people that are going to be like, I'm going to wait and see how this plays out for Derek or so-and-so. Right. But yep. if you should, you should get people on now and get them a slightly better deal. Like, you know, commission free for 24 first 24 months or something you know something like that because you need to get that that momentum going i literally thought of that like an hour ago and i was and i was like damn it sam and i are about to record so uh yeah. from the time we record this the time we release it it's going to be a couple weeks so i'm going to reach out to Preston as uh today as we record this and see if i can get that deal done and if i do i'll put it in the show notes so look for a special link and hopefully i think that should be really easy to happen if they use our ilab code or whatever link it is. I'll put all the details in there. I'll share it with Patreon as well. And uh, hopefully we can get you guys at least like one commission deal or something. I don't think that would be too hard for them to do. No, shoot for the stars, Derek. Go for like guaranteed <laughs> 3% on all of your stock or something <laughs> exactly. for the first year. <laughs> you promised up to 10. I, I want 10. <laughs> yeah. We just get three. You know, just give us a slice, just a slice. <laughs> but yes, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And, and if I do, I, I'll post it in Patreon and I'll also put it in the show notes of this episode. So look down there as well. Good stuff. Thanks to Preston coming on the show. Hope this was a, an interesting opportunity for all the listeners. Maybe a way that you can add another 500,000, couple thousand dollars passively to your yearly gains. And Derek, thanks for taking the the plunge, signing up, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you have uh, gained from the from the platform. 
Yeah, I'll definitely report it to listeners. And who knows? Maybe you'll have enough to take a sommelier class or at the very least, oh, get a $12 bottle of non-alcoholic wine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man. Slurp that stuff up, buddy. Enjoy your boring ass month. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.